We're looking at the Lord's Prayer, and we are memorizing to utilize, and we're saying it together so that we will learn to pray it together. So in a worshipful heart and uh, in, a, in a, a fervent voice, let's say, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen with Carmen right there. All right, good. We're looking at the third petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I want you to see the funnel effect of what we are studying because I was just really kind of overwhelmed by this. This prayer begins with our Father who is in heaven. That's as broad and as wide as you can get. He is transcendent, large and in charge in heaven, and yet he's imminent. He is near to hear your, your, your most deepest heart cry. But then we come down, your name be holy, your reputation be spread. But how's that going to happen? And it narrows down, your kingdom come. But how does the kingdom come and what does it look like? And it gets down to this very specific request. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I just think that just helps because what we're going to do is kind of broaden out from that in the weeks to come with the last three petitions. I like this quote by theologian David Wells who said this about prayer. Prayer only flourishes where there is a twofold belief. First, that God's name is hallowed too irregularly, his kingdom has come too little, and his will is done too infrequently. Second, that God himself can change this situation. Prayer, therefore, is the expression of the hope that life as we meet it, on the one hand, can be otherwise, and on the other hand, that it ought to be otherwise. To pray declares that God and his world are at cross purposes. And that's the rub when we pray, your will be done, isn't it? It's not just the world that is at cross purposes with God. If we're honest, when we pray this, we realize what? My heart is at cross purposes with God. And so when we pray this petition, your will be done, are we really ready to pray this prayer? And are we even willing to pray this prayer? You see, it's easy to pray this prayer like the hypocrite prays, to say it so that others hear it, but not because we're really going to do it. It's easy to pray like the heathen and pray it a lot or pray it louder or pray it many times so that somehow it will magically, your will be done, become my will is done. You see, sometimes we think prayer is trying to change God's will into our will. And it reminds me of a story that we sometimes approach this like an old Scottish woman who traveled the countryside selling housewares. 
And whenever she came to a fork in the road, she would throw a straw in the air, and whichever way that straw landed and whichever way it pointed, that's the way she would go. And the village people all knew of her practice of doing this, and a friend of hers saw her one time. She kept throwing the straw in the air and kept throwing it and kept throwing it. And the friend came up and said, why do you keep doing that? Well, the lady said, it keeps landing to the left, and I want to go to the right because it's smoother that way. And so, she, you know, that's kind of what we do, okay? She continued casting her straw until it fell in the direction she wanted. This also reminds me of the farmer who wanted to become a preacher. And one day, while he was plowing his land, he saw the clouds form the letters P-C up in the, uh, up in the clouds in the sky. And he took that to mean preach Christ. So he sold his farm, became a preacher. The only problem was he was a horrible preacher. And so one day after hearing a horrible sermon, his friend came up to him and said, Are you sure that PC didn't mean plant corn? (laughs) John, I knew you would like that PC, plant corn. All right. The Jensen's call me PC, so I don't know what that means, but I'll take it as Pastor Chris, not plant corn. We don't have to fear. But here's the thing about praying this prayer, which is a radical and a dangerous prayer to pray. We don't have to fear praying the third petition of the Lord's Prayer. We don't have to wait until we're ready or even willing to pray it. This petition is about God more than it is about you and I. Your will be done is about wanting Him to do His will, not about us doing our will And it's not even ultimately about us doing His will in our own power. And this is where we get off or go off on the wrong track regarding the will of God. Because too often in our sermons, our studies, and searches for the will of God, we start with the wrong focus. And we focus on who? Us instead of on God. When it comes to God's will, listen, the struggle with God's will is not so much in the knowing it. And yet, I I, I can tell you, how many books have you seen? Knowing God's will. I mean, if you're going to preach on God's will, know God's will. No, knowing God's will. How do we know God's will? The struggle is not in knowing God's will. It's revealed right here. The will of God. There's more than enough will of God to know and reveal. The struggle is not knowing it. It's trusting the will of God. It's doing the will of God, and three, it is submitting to the will of God. And so our outline this morning is going to take us through that when we pray, your will be done. The struggle is not to know what his will is. The struggle is to trust his will and to do his will and to submit to his will. So let's take a look at it. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first thing we want to talk about is trusting the will of God. And here's what you need to know. And you already know it from this prayer. Our Father can be trusted. Our Father can be trusted. Your will, in the phrase, your will be done, your will is the will of our Father who can be trusted. And I think this is where we go wrong on the will of God, this G-O-D, abstract person way out there, and not our Father, whom we have a relationship with and who has revealed himself in the Scriptures. And so, have you ever heard of the fifth, that 50s show, uh, Father Knows Best? 
Okay, you've heard that phrase, father knows best. And granted, earthly fathers don't always know best. And sometimes they do what's worst, okay? But when it comes to our heavenly father, does our father in heaven really, really know best? And do we believe it? Here's what I want you to see. There's at least three reasons, and they're right out of the Lord's Prayer, that we can know that our Father knows best. First of all, He's our dearest Father of all. He's our dearest Father of all. Why? Because He is our Father who is in heaven. Now, I just want you to stop and think. No one on this planet knows you better than your Father God. No one knows you better, and no one loves you more. And this is why I thought about this. This is why leading into the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, verse 10, 9 and 10, leading into it, he keeps emphasizing on the way to pray, your Father, your Father, your Father. If you know your Father as your dearest Father, then you will be bold and you will be confident and you will be eager to pray this prayer. No one else's love can compare with his love for you. God's will can be trusted because God himself can be trusted as our dearest heavenly father who knows you best and at your worst and still loves you the most. He knows you best at your worst and still loves you the most. Therefore, his will is good for us. It's morally good. It is in our best interest. We can trust our Heavenly Father. And Jesus keeps making this point. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 6, verses 30 through 34. Matthew 6, 30 through 34. The Sermon on the Mount is saturated with this concept that our God is a Heavenly Father who is eager to provide what we most need and is best for us. Look at Matthew 6, verse 30. Jesus is talking about meeting your physical needs, eating, clothing. We're going to talk next week about asking for daily bread. Well, here's the mindset. Verse 30, chapter 6. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? And here's the issue. It's a trust issue. You of little faith. It's a trust issue. 31. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat? Or what what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? Why? For the Gentiles. See, those that don't have a covenant relationship with the Father God. The Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Listen, your dearest father in heaven really does know best because he knows you best and he loves you most. Secondly, we can trust that our father knows best Because he's our holy father. He's our holy father in heaven. And that brings us back to the request, hallowed be your name. 
He is holy and unique. No one in this universe has a better perspective on life. You say, like, you know, if I could just see things a little clearer, if I could just know a little more, then I could trust the Lord. Well, look, he sees it all. He knows more. He sees more. He is more powerful, and he's in more places at once. He's omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, and he's omnipresent, all-present. Now, this is the one that we're trusting. No one else's motives are more holier than God's. Therefore, his will is acceptable and pleasing to him. What he wants for you is pleasing to him. And when it's pleasing to him, guess what? It's going to make you happy as well. Happiness is found in his holiness, his character, not our circumstances. And so your holy father in heaven, he really does know best. You know why? Because he is the best. (laughs) He's the best. And he knows what's best for us. He is second to none. Thirdly, We can trust our father that he knows best because he's our royal father on the throne. Our father in heaven, dearest father, hallowed be your name, holy father, your kingdom come. You're my royal father on the throne. So again, think about this. No one else's authority is greater than his. Therefore, his will is perfect. And when we say perfect, we mean it will accomplish the goal that is intended. God has a will, and he has a goal. And that goal will be fulfilled, and it will be glorious for him, and it will bring our greatest joy. It will bring greatest joy to us. So think about this. God's will is going to reach its God-intended goal, and that goal will be good. It will be godly, and it will be glorious, and you are a part of it. So here's my question. If his will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven when his kingdom comes, and it is, and that's going to happen in all this mess that's going on, don't you think he can handle your present circumstances? Don't you think that what he wants for you in the present stresses is better than what the world can offer, what you can come up with on your own. Listen, God's will can be trusted because God himself can be trusted as our royal father on his throne who is guiding all things to his intended purposes. Now, think again. Your will be done. This is the heart cry of a disciple who really trusts the Lord. Trust like a loving son who's devoted to his heavenly father. Trust like a true saint dedicated to his holy God. Trust like a loyal subject who delights in serving his sovereign king. And trust like an obedient servant who is diligent to do the will of a very gracious master. So here's what I want you to think as we move out of this point. I want you to think, what goes on in your mind and heart when you think about praying, your will be done? And I don't mean just on earth. When you pray, your will be done, 
in my heart like it is in heaven. What goes on? Are you resisting His will? Do you question, doubt, or fear His will? Maybe all of that is because you're not yet convinced that your Father really knows best. So here's the bottom line. Get to know your Father in heaven better so that you can trust Him more here on earth. Listen, here's the secret. This is the million-dollar secret on knowing, the, and knowing, but more importantly, trusting the will of God. The more you know who your God is in heaven, the more you will trust Him here on earth in this mess. So if you're struggling... If you're struggling to do what God wants for you in your life, in a specific area, or maybe overall your your life has been surrendered to Him. You're here this morning, I get that. But in certain areas where you're being tested and tempted, then ask, what do I know about my Father that should move me to trust Him and what His will is? But hey, you don't have to take my word on this, you have someone much better. Take the word of the one who knows the Father best, his only begotten Son. And so let's look at doing the will of God. Doing the will of God. His Son is our substitute. Here's the thing about Jesus He not only trusted his Father, he trusted his Father enough to do his will. So breaking down this phrase, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will, our Father, can be trusted. Be done. Here's the good news. Don't stress. His Son is our substitute in doing the will of God. And so hopefully this will help you. Your will be done is the work of the Son who has done the Father's will perfectly as our substitute. This is the entire purpose of the Incarnation. The entire purpose of the Incarnation was to do the will of God on earth as it is in heaven perfectly. And that's exactly what Jesus did. So let's take a look at the purpose of the Incarnation. I'm going to read a bunch of verses. They're listed there for you. But it would be well worth your time to look these up on your own. Think through these ideas. Because what we're going to see is Jesus has fulfilled the first three requests of the Lord's Prayer perfectly. Jesus lived, he died, and he rose to do what? To hollow his Father's name. To hollow his Father's name. Whose name was Jesus trying to make famous here on earth? Well, John 5.43 I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. Who did he come? I came to make the name of my Father famous. Why did Jesus do the things he did while he did on earth? Why did he do the things he did while on earth? John 10, 25. Jesus answered them. I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name... These testify to me. He did all that he did in the name of the Father. Listen in on the true Lord's Prayer, John 17. On the night before Jesus was to die, doing the will of God, the will of his Father, why was he willing to die such a cruel death, suffer 
the Father's eternal wrath in the place of us as undeserving. Why do you do this? John 17, 6. I have revealed your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have followed your word. I, I revealed your character to them. John 17, 26. I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Listen, Jesus lived, died, he rose, and he reigns for the fame of the name of his Father. This is what he did. Secondly, Jesus lived, died, and rose to further his Father's kingdom. To further his Father's kingdom. The second petition, thy kingdom come. You guys know this. Why was Jesus born? Well, the Magi tell us in Matthew 2. What do the Magi say? Where is he who is born what? King of the Jews, right? How was Jesus welcomed by the Jewish people when he entered the capital of Jerusalem on a, on a donkey? Here's Luke 19, 38. We're coming up on Palm Sunday. They shouted, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So now we've got the linkage of your name be holy with your kingdom become uh, coming in the person of the king. Why was Jesus rejected by the Jewish nation, crucified by the Roman Empire? Luke 23, 38. The, the condemnation, the sentence over his head on the cross was this. It was this. This is the king of the Jews. In John 19, 20, it's even more uh, explicit. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew for the Jewish nation, Latin for the Roman Empire, and Greek for the rest of the world. And so the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. In other words, don't say that he is the king of the Jews. Say that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. And the Roman uh, Pilate, the Roman ruler said, nope, what is written is what is written. You see, Jesus died for being who he really was, the king of the Jews. What's the, significance of Je- What's the significance of Jesus' resurrection, his ascension, and the descent of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost? Turn your Bibles to Acts 2.32. Let's read this one together. Acts 2.32. What was the purpose of this? Acts 2.32. Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. Christ has been crucified, buried. He is risen Easter morning. He has walked the earth and appeared uh, for 40 days. He's ascended up. The spirit has come down. The church is born. And here's the summary of the significance. Verse 32. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit... He has poured forth this which you both see and hear. They were filled with the Spirit, praising God in different languages of all the peoples of the world. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord 
Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So here we see the rest of kingdom history. Jesus has been risen and ascended and enthroned as king at the right hand of the father, but he is ruling and reigning over his people, but he's waiting for that day when the father will make the nations of the earth, the earth itself, his footstool, in other words, until his kingdom comes. So the king is reigning, but the kingdom has not yet come. And then notice what he says, verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him what? Both Lord and Christ, the Jesus who you crucified. Lord means universal, sovereign ruler over everything. And Christ means the anointed, promised king of Israel. So what do we see from this? Jesus lived, he died, he rose to spread the fame of his father's name. But how did he do it? By coming to be the promised king. And one day by coming with his kingdom in order that God's reputation would be revealed to the whole earth. Third, Jesus lived and died and rose to do the Father's will. So we're moving through the three petitions. And in each case, we see Jesus came truly God, truly man, as the last Adam to do for us what we should do what we will be judged for not doing, he has done it perfectly in our place. Isn't that amazing? So we should not fear praying this, because why? It's not resting on you. It's resting on the one who has already done it for you. Is that not cool? So let's take a look at it. Let's see it. The will. I mean, he's so explicit. Listen, Jesus came to this earth for one purpose. And that was to do the will of his heavenly father. Listen to John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven. Could you get any more? I mean, you know, it's like, okay, I imagine him saying this real slow. You know, like, okay, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You couldn't be more explicit. Jesus lived each day of his life for one reason. To do the will and finish the work of his Father in in heaven. Listen to John 4, 34. Jesus said to them. Now listen to this. Because this will play into next week. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. I live by doing his will. What does that make you think of? That makes you think of his temptation where he says, Man does not live by bread alone. Alone, you do need bread. I hope you ate this morning. Everybody eat this morning? And if not, you're going to eat this afternoon? Yes, right? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then he brought manna, and he's quoting... There's connections that we'll look at next week. But what I want you to see, his food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. So let's ask the question, did he accomplish that work? Well, listen to this. 
Jesus is able to say at the end of his life that he not only obeyed God's will fully, but he finished his work completely. I mean, Jesus is the only person who died without a single regret. I've lived long enough to have plenty of regrets. And I bet most of you do too. He died without a single regret. Why? Because he did the Father's will completely. And he finished the work that he had been given completely. That, that's just... That, that, John 17, 4. Listen to this. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you have given me to do. God help each of us on the night before we die that we can say that. I did what you called me to do. And by the way, we don't know what that last night will be. Could have been last night. We're not promised the rest of today. So, what Jesus lived, died, and rose to show us is, think about this. This request is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Too often, I think, about the on earth part and not enough about how is God's will done in heaven. Have you ever meditated on that? How is God's will done in heaven? Well, Jesus showed us how it's done in heaven by doing it here on earth. So look at your notes, and I want you to see Jesus shows us how to do the will of God on earth as in heaven. In heaven, God's will is done quickly. Okay, God says on his throne in heaven, do this. And the angels go, let me pray about it. God says, do this. And they say, well, wait a minute. I mean, I'll, I'll get to it, God. I'll get to it. No. God says it, and what? It's done quickly. Delayed obedience is not heavenly obedience. Think about this. It's done completely. Can you imagine God saying to the angels, go do this? And then he follows up, and he said, how'd that go? Well, I got it. I'm about half done. Okay, keep working on it. It's okay. No, it's done completely. Partial obedience is not heavenly obedience. And then, this is perhaps most important, it's done joyfully. I mean, do you think the angels in heaven are grudgingly giving, you know, holy, 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 but this is really boring. I say it for eternity. Holy, 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 my heart's just not in it today. No. No, this is how heavenly obedience is done. It's done quickly. It's done completely. It's joyfully. It's not delayed. It's not partial. It's not half-hearted. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, 5 through 10. going to draw all this together. Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 10, because you're thinking, whoa, if that's how God's will is done, count me out. But that's not the point of this, this point. The point is this. Your, your will be done was done by him as your substitute. He did it in your place. So look at Hebrews 10, 5 through 10. This is a powerful passage in a book that is hard to understand but has great riches in it. And this passage can be confusing, but follow along. Verse 5. Therefore, when he comes into the world, this is Jesus' incarnation when he comes into the world. 
This is what he said in heaven prior to coming in the incarnation. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God. What pleases God is not us sacrificing to come to church. What pleases God is not our empty rituals. What pleases God is when we use our body and life to do his will. And Jesus says, look, I know you're not pleased with empty ritual. That's not why I came. I came. Behold, you have given me a body. I have come to do your will. Look at verse 8. After saying the above, sacrifice and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. They were done in the Old Testament because God required it. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. The point is this. I'm going to do away with those sacrifices for sin because now I'm going to do your will sinlessly. I'm getting rid of that because I have fulfilled the law. You gave me a body and I spread the fame of your name. I brought your kingdom in the, in the sense of I was the king and I did your will perfectly. Now finish this passage, verse 10. By this will, whoa, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. What have we been sanctified, set apart, set apart? What have we been sanctified to do? We've been sanctified to do His will by Him doing God's will fully for us. Does that make sense? So He does it fully. He came and said, look, somebody, a, a, a son of Adam has to come and fulfill the will perfectly. These guys ain't cutting it and they'll never do it. So I'm going to come and I'm going to do it fully. And in doing that, I'm setting aside the Old Testament ritual because I have come and fulfilled the law. But in fulfilling the law, now I'm calling out a people that I'm going to set apart to do your will like I did it. Your will be done. Jesus is our substitute. But what does that mean? That means we still have a will to do, right? But now we have a totally different mindset. Your will, our Father can be trusted. Be done. It's been done. The Son is our substitute. Now this brings us to submitting to God's will. His Spirit will strengthen us. His Spirit will strengthen us. Now... Here's what I want you to see. We've moved through your will. The Father can be trusted. Be done. The Son is our substitute. 
on earth as it is in heaven happens as we submit our will to him. Romans 12, 1 and 2. By the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Why? By the mercies of God. He has done our, his, God's will for us. He has paid the price of our sin. He has performed our righteousness as our substitute. By his mercies, I present my body back as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good, our dearest Father makes it that way. Acceptable, our Holy Father makes it that way. And perfect, our Royal Father will fulfill it completely in and through His Son. So, what does this mean? Where do we go to find this? We're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where we want to go. So first of all, let's look at this. Jesus' greatest passion in prayer was to do the will of His Father and not His own. His greatest passion in prayer was to do the will of His Father. Okay, so when we go to the Garden, here's what we see. There's three different passages. Uh, John doesn't record this aspect Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this, okay? And we can't read all those through those passages, but we're headed into Easter. Now's a great time to be studying the garden prayer, okay? And so let's take a look at each of these passages. We're going to go Matthew, Mark, and then Luke, all right? Let's focus. And we're not going to read all the passages, but I just want you to catch. This is the the. the where he falls and he's saying, Lord, he's going to talk about removing this cup. The cup is the cup of God's wrath that he's going to endure on the cross. And he's praying basically the third petition. We're going to see it. First of all, Jesus is literally praying and living out his own prayer. Okay, that's the, uh, uh, that's the radical part of that. Jesus is literally praying and living out his own prayer. Three times Jesus prays basically this, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass, yet not as I will, but as you will. Okay, So he prays this three times. Now what does that tell us? That tells us, first of all, repetition is okay as long as it's meaningful and not meaningless. It means it's okay to be persistent in prayer. We saw the Canaanite woman was. Jesus is. But here's what I want you to see. And you can look at it in your Bibles. Matthew 26, 42. Matthew 26, 42. I mean, there's so much here. But I just want you to see Matthew 26, 42. Here's what Jesus prays. My father... It, well, in 39, he says, if it's possible, let it pass. Then the, third, the second and third time, he says, my father, if this cannot pass, I'm getting the impression it cannot pass as I pray. I'm learning your will. If this cannot pass away unless I drink it, he literally says, your will be done. Exact same Greek phrase as how he taught us to pray. Jesus is praying his own prayer. Your will be done. 
And he's doing it at a moment where he's about to endure the greatest trial, the greatest test, the greatest temptation in his life. Jesus is literally praying and living out his prayer at the same time. Your will be done. Let's go to Mark. Go to Mark 14.36. Mark 14.36. Listen, there's no accident that you have interruptions when you're talking about Jesus praying in the garden. So let's focus on the Word of God, and let's realize that God wants us to really see here what His will is doing. So let's, let's look at Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, Mark 14.36. And here's what we're going to see. Jesus' heart cry was for his Abba, Father. It models his total trust and his total submission. So look at what he says in verse 46. Abba, Father. Now just stop and think about what's going on here. We've talked about our Father in heaven. So he's doing the trust thing right here. He's not saying, God, you mean guy in the sky who wants me to do terrible things and even cost my life. He's saying, no, Abba, Father, I trust you. And notice what he says. All things are possible for you. That's total trust. That is total trust. You are my dearest Father. You know what's best. You know me best. And your will is good. All things are possible, dearest Father. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I, and it's literally present tense, yet not what I'm willing, not what I keep asking, but what you are willing, what you presently keep wanting me to do. That is total submission. That's amazing. Total trust, total submission. Now turn to Luke uh, 22. Turn to Luke 22. Luke 22, and let's read 41 through 45. Luke 22, 41 through 45. And now we're going to get the total picture here. Look at Luke 22, verse 41. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, Peter, James, and John. He knelt down and began to pray. Usually they stood uh, standing up, arms raised. He is in agony. Father... If you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Third petition. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. To do what? To keep praying. To keep trusting. To keep asking. To keep submitting. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. The strengthening came not just to go to the cross, but to go praying. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping from sorrow. You can write all of our names in there, can't we? In the garden, Jesus' heart cry is both a petition for deliverance, a very real one, but a dedication to obedience. Here's what I want you to see, and we'll end with this. Jesus models how to pray, your will be done. So we're going to take these three passages, and I'm just going to give you four words, and this is how he prayed, and this is how you pray it. 
How do I pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? How do I do this? Give you four words, four S that come right out of this passage. First of all, struggle to do his will and not your own. It is a struggle. Do you keep, if you would read these passages. Now, uh, if you could remove this, if you can't remove it unless I do it, your will be done. There's a struggle, right? Between the human will of Jesus, not because he doesn't want to do the will of God, but because the sacrifice and the suffering is so great. I think we can relate to that, can't we? It's not that I don't want to do what God wants. It's that the pain involved. Are you with me? Struggle. He's struggling. That's why he prays. The struggle is real. His soul is deeply grieved. He's in agony. He is literally breaking blood vessels in his head, in his forehead, so that his sweat is literally broken blood vessels dripping. Struggle. Number two, sacrifice our will to do his. Sacrifice our will to do his. In the struggle, acknowledge that you will sacrifice what you want to do what he wants. Sacrifice. Third, submit our will to doing his will. Every time he prays, he, sa- he says, yet not what I will, but what you will. So he talks and he talks and then he ends and he always ends by, yet not what I want, but what you want. He submits and then, then finally the strengthening comes. Strength is given. Strength is given. Do you think God God sent an angel to strengthen him? Will God send an angel to strengthen us? Yes or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hebrews says they are ministering servants sent to help those to whom salvation is coming. So as you're praying, angels will be sent. Now that's cool, but you know what's cooler? Is he has sent a greater helper, the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit to strengthen us in prayer. So don't hesitate. Don't give up in prayer. Listen to Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So let's end with this. What's hindering you? What is hindering you from praying the third petition? Okay. Is it that you doubt God, your Father, knows best? He can be trusted. Is it because you think, I don't have the ability to do His will? The answer is, you're right. The Son is your substitute. And you say, I am weak. I am faltering. I need help. The Spirit will strengthen you. Is that, listen, this is good news. So take your hand out. 
I took last week's. I prayed through it every day. I prayed through all of it each day, and it was such a blessing to me because it puts feet on these prayers. And so write out what you learned from today's lesson, what you learned in your own words. And then on the back, I've got the four words. And take a situation that you're struggling with right now. And remember, it can, it can, maybe the global situation is making you anxious. That's real. Maybe it's, you know, feeding times and sleep times, right? Real parenting issues, right? On, on the ground stuff. Maybe it's a work issue. But you pray through that, and each day this week, pray through those four words and those four concepts. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that no matter what's happening around us and no matter how fearful and anxious we may be and the dangers are real and they're real in our lives as much as they are real in Ukraine, in Russia, Mozambique. But we are glad that you're our substitute. We are glad that you are our father we are glad that the Spirit dwells in us. Lord, let us not just learn about your prayer. Let us pray this week. Let us pray the Jesus way. Your will be done on earth, in our hearts, as it is in heaven. Quickly, completely, and joyfully. For it's... In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, we pray. Amen.